um, the heading, as you know, that we've been looking at Romans chapter, whole Romans, but we've been in Romans chapter 10, the words will come up in in your screen in a few moments' time, and I've really given you an overview of Romans chapter 10, 11, sorry, chapter 9, 10, and 11. I've given you an overview of that last week. But now I want to lift up a few verses from these chapters. And um, we're in chapter 10. You know, it's a common thought that people think that good people go to heaven. I remember speaking to a man some years ago, and I said to him, you know, bad people are the ones who go to heaven. And he couldn't understand that. He couldn't agree with me. For what do you mean, bad people go to heaven? I thought good people go to heaven. And most people think that. They think that good people go to heaven. But I tell you this, when you get to heaven, you will see a lot of bad people in there. And if, and I pray that none of you will be among those, if you enter into hell, you will find a lot of good people in hell. People who have a good reputation here. People who have a good status and a good standing here. People who have a a good name here may not have a good name in the presence of God. So I spoke to this guy and I told him, you know, there's going to be a lot of bad people in heaven. And the reason why is because the Bible turns our thinking upside down. It makes what we think right, it turns it wrong. And what makes what we think is wrong, it turns it right. And, and, and God loves doing that. He loves saying that your wisdom is not the same as my wisdom. Your way is not the same as my way. As far as the heaven is above the earth, so far is my ways higher than your ways. So you will say, oh, if you're good, you get to heaven. If you're bad, you go to hell. God said, no, I'm turning that around. I'm not putting it upon your performance. But I'm placing it upon my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have um, a simple verse. We're going to look at a simple verse together. And in, um, a few things. The first thing I want to say about this simple verse that we're going to look at in a few moments is confession. Look what it says. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, that seems a very simple statement, but let me clear the ground first. Let me tell you what it's not saying. It's not saying that you simply state a fact. It's not saying that if you say these words, you are saved. You see, the Bible tells me that even Satan knows this. Even the devil will speak and say those words. In fact, Jesus met a man who was demon-possessed. And this is what the demon-possessed man said. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, 
What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I want to tell you this morning, the devil knows that Jesus is Lord. Doesn't matter if you say or don't say, it's not a statement. Even the devil knows that Jesus is Lord and he is not saved. So it's not that. What else is it not? Well, it is not um, when you, it's not because you say that, it does not mean that you are following Jesus because you say it. In fact, the Bible says that one day, Every single person that has ever lived, that is living today, and that will ever live in the future, every single person, whether they're rich, whether they're poor, whether they're educated, whether they're foolish, every single person will say, Jesus is Lord. And this is what the Bible says. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And because you say that one day does not mean that you're a Christian, does not mean that you're following Christ because even the haters of God even those who despise him will bow the knee one day and say, Jesus, you are Lord. So it does not mean that if you say that, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean? Well, as many of you know, the New Testament was written in the Roman Empire days. And the word in Greek is kyrios that they use, but that's not important. But the word in Greek meant Lord in the Roman Empire. And the person who was called kyrios, the person who was called Lord, was someone who ruled. That man owned land, he owned property, he owned people, he owned business. That man had influence in government, foreign and national policy. That man was a man with great influence. And he was called Kyrios. He was called Lord. And they were people who demanded respect and demanded honor from those around them. You know, when you came before a man like that, and you call him Lord, you were saying to him, I belong to you. You were saying to him, you own me. Everything that I have belongs to you. When you call a man in the, old, in the New Testament Lord or Kyrios, you were saying to him that you have authority over me and my life and my family. That is why in the New Testament, many Christians were murdered by the Romans. The reason why they were murdered by the Romans was because they refused to say that Caesar was Lord. And because they refused to say that, the Roman authority put them to death. 
And we see it all in the New Testament. Do you remember when Jesus was tested by um, some Pharisees? And um, they came to, to Jesus um, and they brought a coin. Tell us then, they said, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Because they knew that Caesar was the authority. And they knew that Caesar was the power. And if Jesus said, don't pay taxes to Caesar, they would have turned around and say, ah, oh, we've got you. You are leading a rebellion against the, 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 the master of, of, of the Roman Empire. They knew. And so they brought a, a, a question to Jesus. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, tell me, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus, seeing the hypocrisy, turns around and, and, and say, bring me a coin. And they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they said. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar's what is Caesar's. And give to God what is God. In other words, very simply, your in your body, in your life, you have the mark of God upon you. You are made in the image of God. And what Jesus was saying, you know, you give, you pay your taxes, but God is the one who is Lord. And his ascription is upon you. Give to God what is God's. And give to Caesar's what is Caesar's. But also, in that time, we see, even when Jesus was being crucified, how the Jews around honoured Caesar so highly. Look what they said when Jesus was being crucified. Um, so they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. Listen to the reply. We have no king but Caesar. So you can see, you can turn out the word king and put Lord in that place. It means the same thing. We have no Lord but Caesar. So you can see, when a person becomes a Christian, when a person begins to follow Christ, he has to turn around and say something that other people cannot say. When a person becomes a Christian, he has to be able to say, Jesus is Lord. And when he says that, what does he mean? He means this, Jesus, you are the only authority in my life. Jesus, everything that I have belongs to you. Jesus, my family belongs to you. My finances belong to you. My body belongs to you. My mind belongs to you. Jesus, you are Lord. Now you can only say that if you're truly born again. Only say that Jesus is Lord if Christ has come in and changed your life. I was doing some reading um, this week and came across the Olympics some of you might remember, some of you won't remember really, but in the history you might remember um, in the 1924 Olympics, some, all of us wasn't alive in 1924, I don't think. But in 1924, in the Olympics, there was a man called Eric Liddell. Now, Eric Liddell was a 100-meter sprinter, very quick, was tipped to win gold 
at 100 metres, even though he was a white guy. He was tipped to win the 100 metre sprint. And when he got to the Olympics in 1924, they told him, they said to him, actually, the 100 metre heat is going to be ran on a Sunday. Now, Eric Liddell was a Christian. And he said, you know, I believe God. I lo- God, you are Lord of my life. You are Lord of my athletics. You are Lord of my ability to run. I am not going to run on a Sunday. That's what he said. And so he had to change his event to the 400 meter sprint instead. There's a film about him called Chariots of Fire. Some of you may have seen it. And he ran the 400 meters instead. And he won gold in the 400 meters in 1924 because he put Christ first. He said, Jesus, you are Lord. After that, he went out to become a missionary in China, serving God in a a very difficult country. But this is a man in a public domain who said, I'm putting Jesus first. And in in our day and age, men are still doing that. I was reading about the NFL, the National Football League. There's a number of men who are Christians. Two of them are quarterbacks, a guy called um, Tim Tebow and Nick Foles. Two men who are seen regularly on their knees before the game, praying. Cameras are on them. Millions of people in the stadium. This guy, T-Bone, used to write Bible verses under his eye as a, in, in black paint um, because before he goes out to play. These men wanted to say, you know what? Jesus is Lord of my life and I want everyone to know about it. And that is what Christ means to them. That is what Christ means to Eric Liddell. That's what Christ means to those in Rome. And that is what Jesus is Lord should mean to you today as well. It shouldn't just mean Jesus is Lord. I will come to church on a Sunday morning. No, Jesus is Lord on a Monday morning as well, you know, my friends. He's Lord right throughout the week. He is Lord. And you can only say that if you're born again. If the life has been changed, the spirit of God has come upon you. And you turn around. And you may be weak in saying it. You may be saying it with faltering lips. You may not be saying it like Eric Liddell. You may not be saying it like like Tebow or Nick Foles. You may not be saying it like Paul the Apostle. You might be saying it with faltering lips. But nevertheless, you believe in your heart that, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Jesus is Lord. Not just a statement. So, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. That's what the Bible says. Does not mean that you just say it casually. That's not mean that you can say ad hocly. Doesn't mean that you can just say it when you feel like it. It means how you are living. Can you honestly say this morning, Christ is my Lord? Can you honestly say this morning, Jesus is Kyrios to me? He is Lord to me. Let's move on. Because the Bible verse turns around and says something else. It says this. 
So confession. Now we go on to believing. If you can be- declare or confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This teaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ has been the cornerstone of Christianity. Has been the main teaching of the whole Bible. Everything points from the Old Testament. Everything points to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything. And the Bible here says that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The problem is that this teaching of Jesus raising from the dead has been a sticking point for many in the Bible. And many today. We see it being a sticking point when Paul was before King Agrippa. And he was before a man called Felix. King Agrippa and Felix were very high, influential men. And Paul was in chains and in prison and he got brought out and he stood before King Agrippa and he stood before a man called Felix and he began to talk to them about Jesus. And as he began to talk to them about Jesus, he had them hooked. They were listening. A king and a counselor, Felix. And as he began to speak, Paul said um, these words. That Christ would suffer. And And as the first to rise from the dead, will bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. Paul was saying, Christ will suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. And as soon as he said that, Festus speaks up and he says, you're out of your mind. I know you're a clever man, Paul. I know you're very learned. I know that you're not a fool. But you're talking about a man rising from the dead. Paul, you are out of your mind. But actually, Paul was not out of his mind. The verse that I just missed out was the verse that needs to be read. It says, for what I received, I pass on to you as a first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures Paul says I pass that on to you as first importance this is vital that you understand this this is vital you don't forget this this is vital that you get a hold of this I'm telling you this morning Christ died and on the third day he rose from the dead that is vital says Paul and so he speaks and people turn around and say you're out of your mind well not only that we read Paul writes he says this and if Christ has not been raised if he has not been raised your faith is futile you are still in your sins 
then those who have, been, who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if I'm standing here preaching to you and Christ has not been raised from the dead, we are wasting our time. If I'm preaching to you this morning and I believe that Christ is in the ground and dead, we might as well shut the door and close up shop. We are to be pitied, says Paul. That is how important the fact is that Christ is raised from the dead. You see, it's not not only necessary to believe that Jesus lived. Historians believe that Jesus lived. It's crucial to believe that he is still alive today. Everyone can believe that he lived, but it's crucial to believe that Jesus is not only, did not only live, but he is still alive today. You know, I fear that many Christians who say they are Christians really do not believe in a resurrection. Although they come to church and they worship God and they sing songs to Jesus, I don't believe that many Christians, or I believe that many Christians do not really believe in a resurrection. I was again reading, and I was reading the Daily Mail, an article about a long jumper, a guy called Jonathan Edwards. Some of you might remember him as a long jumper. And um, Jonathan Edwards says, I'm not a Christian anymore. I used to be a Christian, he said. This is an article in, in the Daily Mail. But I'm no longer a Christian. I don't go to church anymore. I don't believe in the God stuff anymore. I've changed my mind. Now, Jonathan Edward, Edwards is a nice man. He's a, a nice-looking man, surrounded by nice-looking people in his church that he used to go to. And he used to go to a very friendly place. But the fact is, he never really looked into the facts and the evidence of the empty tomb. Never really considered the fact that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is no longer in the ground, that the evidence points to a resurrected Jesus. He never really looked into that fact. And because he never looked into it, he was able to put Jesus down and to say, I'm living my life the way I want to live it. Jesus is dead. You see, my dear friends, there's too many Christians who do not consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Too busy liking the church, liking the buildings, liking the chairs, liking the songs, liking the preaching, liking meeting one another. Too busy liking everything and being nice, but not looking at the fact that Jesus Christ had left the tomb and is risen from the dead. And you know, if you believe that, 
if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then two things will be true. The first is this. You will understand that what you see around you is not it. What you see around you, this world that we have, if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you will believe, you will know that there is more to life than what you have now. You would not be concerned about grabbing hold of different things that the world has to offer. If you know that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is alive, you will know that you're looking forward to something else. Listen to the words of these Christians. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. Let me just stop right here. These Christians in Hebrews believe that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. That this wasn't their home. Why do they think that? It's because they know that the tomb is empty. They know that Jesus is raised from the dead. And because he's raised from the dead, they believe that this home, this earth, is not their own. They're not their home. They're strangers. They're pilgrims on the earth. Now, people who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he had prepared for them a city. I like what Jesus said. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house, he said, there are many rooms I go to prepare a place for you. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus has left the tomb. He's out of that cave. He's gone. And he's gone to prepare a place. If you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, then you know that this is not the end. This is not your home. You are a stranger. You are a pilgrim. Everything you have here will soon perish and pass away like the flowers of the field will fade. But what God has prepared for you will be eternal. That's the first thing. If you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, the second thing you will understand is that the wickedness that you see in this world, and there's a lot of wickedness, in this earth, will one day be judged. You will know that one day, the wickedness that you see will be judged. I was listening to LBC this week, and after listening to LBC, the report and the conversation was upon the number of children who are being removed from families in the UK. Because of, fam- because of parents who are on alcohol and on drugs. They said around about 45 to 85 children a day is being removed from families. 
one lady came on the radio and she gave her story and she said that when she was nine or ten years old, her parents, in order for them to buy the drugs and the alcohol that they needed, at nine years old, they prostituted her out to her friends. So at nine and ten years of age, they can get money from their daughter. She's now in her 50s or 60s and saying, I was so messed up because of my family. I want to tell you, you do not know what wickedness is going on even in the UK right now. You and I don't even know at last night how much evil, how much wickedness, how much sin was going on in London alone. You've got no idea. We sometimes sit in our nice cozy environments, nice cozy countries and cozy homes, but we have no idea what children are going through in domestic, abusive situation. It is vile. And I want to tell you, I'm glad that one day there's going to be a judgment. One day every wickedness, every evil, every sin is going to be accounted for. Look what the word of God says. It says this. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. I praise God that this one who's no longer in the tomb will one day come and bring justice to a world of great wickedness. Again, listen to what the word of God says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. You see, if you believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, you will believe that one day every wrong will be corrected. Every evil will be brought before his throne. Every wicked man, every wicked woman will be judged because Christ is not in the tomb. He's raised from the dead. But not only that, if you believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, he will wipe away every tear. Heal every broken heart. Look what the Bible says. And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. A day will come when the Lord will take away the grief and replace joy and oil instead of ashes and despair and the garments will be changed to the garments of mourning and blackness and grief. There will be garments of joy and praise and honor to God. If you believe that Jesus is no longer in the tomb, you will know that one day he will clothe you with joy and wipe away every tear and heal every broken heart. If you believe that Jesus Christ is no longer in the tomb. Your life will be changed. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart 
that God has raised him from the dead, then your life will be different. It will be changed. Because you're living in the light of him. Finally, and I close with this. Not only will you confess with your mouth. Look what the Bible says. It says this. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess your faith and are saved. You know, you all here may not be evangelists. You all here may not be those who want to go out and and preach like I'm doing or what Ez does. You may not be like that, but you know, opening your mouth and saying that I'm a Christian, it's a wonderful thing. I have friends who have crosses pinned on their jackets or maybe a cross around their neck. And when somebody sees that, it gives them an opportunity. Why have you got that cross around your neck? Why have you got that cross pinned to your, your jacket? And it gives an opening for that person to say, you know, I'm a born-again Christian. And I follow Jesus Christ. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a preacher. I just want to tell you that I'm confessing with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord. Do you know there's some Christians who are ashamed of Jesus? Do you know that? They're ashamed. They don't want to tell anybody that they're Christians. They want to be like what you call, you know, a 007 Christian. You know, an undercover agent. You know, I've never seen that in the Bible. You've seen an undercover Christian? Dark glasses, white shirt, black tie? Walking around saying, I'm undercover? You know, Jesus mentions these guys. He turns around and he says this in his word. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. When I come with every angel in heaven and I come as a resurrected king and I look at Christians who are wearing dark glasses and and, and shadow suits and don't want to come out as as Christians, I'm going to be ashamed of you. You may get in, but I want to tell you, you can go in the back door. I'm ashamed. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, others will hear it. And the Bible says this, Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Not only will you never be put to shame, but when you open your mouth, others will turn around. The Bible says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. doesn't matter if you see, they see your cross and you go away and, and, and they think, you know what, I, I like what that man's got. I like what a woman's got. I want to call upon the Lord as well. What's stopping me from being saved? I know I've got baggage. I know I've got skeletons in the cupboard. I know I'm a wicked woman, a wicked man. But what is stopping me from being saved? I'm going to call out to him as well. And I'm going to believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord. Not just Lord, like the devil might call him, or like men who don't know him might call him. I'm going to call him my Lord. My governor, my boss, 
my CEO, my manager. I'm going to call him the man who runs my life. He's Lord. He's Kyrios. And only that. I'm going to look at the tomb. And I'm going to say the tomb's empty. Jesus is not in the ground. I'm going to believe in my heart that Jesus is raised from the dead. And he's praying for me even now. But not only that, one day he's coming back. And guess what? The wickedness that I see in the world today, the injustice that I see, the Lord Jesus is going to bring him right in front of him. And he's going to judge the wickedness in our society one day. And I'm going to believe that. And my dear friend, if you believe that this morning, you shall be saved. You don't need anything else. You don't need a PhD. You don't need to go around doing great things and great works. No, no, no. All you need is to believe in Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus plus coming to church. Jesus plus making sure you know your Bible. Jesus plus making sure you're baptized. Jesus plus make sure you witness a guy in the street. Jesus plus, plus, plus. It's no pluses. It's just Jesus. And if you know him, and believe him to be your Lord, and the one who's raised from the dead, you shall be saved. That entrance into God's kingdom is for you. My dear friends, the only question I have to ask as I close, do you know Jesus as Lord? My final question has to be, do you know him to be alive today? Yes, you know he lived 2,000 years ago. The history books tell us that. But I want to tell you this morning, do you know that he's alive today? My prayer is that that might be so. Let's pray.